was Monday. It was Monday at about two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, some of you know, you know, I'm always out cutting firewood. Well, uh, I was out cutting firewood, you know, trying to get it. In the springtime, the trees start soaking up sap, so I was trying to drop a few of these trees before they soak up a lot of sap into them. Uh, well, I was over at my father-in-law's and uh, cutting down some cherry trees, and I saw the power lines. I knew they were there, but I thought, you know, there's no way in heck that these trees are going to get into that power line. They're too far away. Well, I had to cut this tree a certain way so that it wouldn't get hung up in another tree, and it fell perfectly just the way I wanted it to. Well, I had won these Bose noise-canceling earbuds. Uh, if you don't know anything about Bose, they make some pretty good stuff. Well, I won them at work, uh, the work Christmas party, and I had them in, and I love praise and worship music, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I gotta jam down to some Christian rock, you know, especially when I'm cutting firewood. So I had skillet on, man, I was going to town, and this tree fell, and I had these noise-canceling earbuds in, and they, they work so good. If any of you has ever ran a chainsaw, chainsaws are pretty loud. You can barely hear the chainsaw in your hand. So this tree fell, and I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything, nothing. Just the tree fell, and I'm going to town, cutting my way up this tree. And I get up to the top, and I saw you know, what I thought was an old piece of winch cable um, bound up in that top. And I immediately thought, there's an old piece of cable in my father-in-law's field. He's going to hit that with his brush hog, you know, because it's just a big field. And I latched a hold of that cable with my bare hands, and it was not insulated, and I yanked it out of there. Well, when I yanked it, I saw that it was long, and then I kind of followed it up, and it went right to a transformer. So... I thought, uh-oh, I did something wrong. So I went and knocked on my father-in-law's door. He just got home from work, and I said, Joe, I think I did something bad. He said, is that why I don't have power? I thought, ah, I done messed something up. So when I was down in this, it's down in a valley in that field, I, had, I knew I had messed something up, so I took a picture of the pole number. So if anyone's here, if you hit a telephone pole or something and it has a number, take a picture because you need that number. Well, I called the, the hotline, and they ended up, uh, AP Cambridge was there in probably 10 minutes. Um, I told them that I had cut a tree down and knocked some lines down, and they were there within 10 minutes. And a guy jumps out of the truck and says, Bud, you got 100 people out of power in the Norwich area. So I know I got Lenny and Teresa. I had talked to them. I knocked their power out. Uh, so if you lost power Monday around 2 o'clock to 5 or so, yeah, that was me. Well, immediately AP jumped out and they said, you didn't touch them lines, did you? And they wouldn't go near those lines. And I was so embarrassed. Now, this is why I don't want you to think I'm a blooming idiot, but I know not to touch down power lines, okay? I know that. When I saw this line, I, I just saw a part of it. And of course, you know, the grass has grown up a little taller, it's just a field. I didn't see it was a big cable. And like I said, I didn't have any gloves on. And these lines, a lot of power lines, which I didn't even know this, are non-insulated. You know, I always thought they had a rubber insulation on them. These ones didn't even have insulation on them. And I grabbed them with my bare hands. So God spared me. Uh, if you don't know much about electricity, um, those type of power lines, you don't just get a little shock. You get blown about 20 feet back and you're a cinder. You know, you're cutting firewood next minute. You're saying, what are you doing here, God? You're up there standing in front of him. 
So apparently my work is not done here yet. And maybe he wanted me to preach this morning. I don't know what it is. But he spared me, so thank you, Lord. Yeah, he, he spared my life. I probably shouldn't be here. It could have just been that fast, that simple. I mean, that's how fragile our lives are. You know, of course, when I got home, kind of told my wife because I was gone a lot longer than I was supposed to have been. Uh, my wife wasn't very happy, and she wasn't happy with me. She Googled, you know, what happens if you touch down power lines, and it was all these nightmare stories. And, you know, those power lines, you don't even have to touch them. If you get close to them, they can arc to you. So, yeah, God spared me. And the one last thing about it, and I'll get to the word, is uh, the guys, they actually, uh, they gaffed up the poles and they spliced them together fairly quickly and they, they were in and out an hour and a half and young guy ended up, he was a pretty nice guy came up and said, you know, hey, this, this isn't a real big deal, we deal with this stuff all the time and he said, uh, there's three boxes they check because they have to fill out a report he said, there's three boxes I can check and it's, uh, you know, A less than a thousand dollars worth of damage B, a thousand to five thousand or C, five thousand and up he said, for yours, he said, not a big deal. He said, I've checked less than $1,000 worth of damage. And he said, you know, it wasn't a big deal. He said, a lot of times when AEP gets these uh, smaller little flames like this, he said, they, they won't even contact you. That was Monday, and I haven't heard anything. So, but I told the guy, I said, hey, it's my fault. I did it, and I'm responsible. So they contact me. I suppose I'll have to settle up with them. But I'd glad be pay a bill to AEP than be pushing up daisies. So, thank you, Lord. He, he spared me. Carol, will you please open us up in prayer? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. You heard Adam say, Pastor Joey and Ruth will be back. Uh, pray for their safe return, I believe, Tuesday. They are going to be back Tuesday morning. So pray that God brings them back safely to us. Um, I got a text message from Dad, and he said, I miss preaching. So I'm sure when he comes back, he'll be uh, renewed and refreshed and full of fire, and we'll hear some excellent messages from this pulpit. So pray that God brings them back. They have had a good time, believe it or not. They have enjoyed themselves. No uh, emergency rooms, no scars or stitches or anything. Praise the Lord for that. There's a first time for everything, I guess. They have had a good time. So, if you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, he taught a lot of parables. He used parables, you know, short stories to kind of get a point across. 
Well, when he used these parables, he spoke them to the masses, right? And then when the masses dispersed, he would tell the hidden meaning or the, the mystery of the gospel. He would reveal it to those who stayed behind. See, the masses would hear these little short stories, these parables from Jesus, and then they'd disperse and go about their business, and what would be left would be Jesus' core group of people, his disciples, you know, even some other people, maybe some people in the crowd that he really, they really were spoken to by his word. They would come, and they would wait to hear more, and Jesus would reveal the secret message, what he was trying to get across with his parable. He would reveal it to his disciples, to the hungry ones, to those who stayed after the masses left. For example, and you don't have to turn here, but Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus, in front of all these people, does the parable of the sower. Remember, the sower goes out to sow the good seed, and some falls here and there, good ground, stony ground. He goes out and tells all these people this parable of the sower. All the people, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, they disperse, and they're gone. So Mark chapter 4, verse 10 says, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. Verse 11 says, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Okay, again, Jesus has or tells the parable of the mustard seed. Remember the little tiny mustard seed, he says? He likens it to the gospel. and Just this tiny little seed, but when it grows up, he tells all these people the parable of the mustard seed. Then in Mark chapter 4, verse 33, after he's done telling that parable, he says, And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. Verse 34, But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Okay, now I'm not going to be preaching on that at all, but I wanted to establish the fact that the Lord Jesus uses these generalized parables, you know, to preach and to teach. But to the hungry ones, he reveals the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Okay? I believe that he still does that. To the hungry people, he reveals the secret hidden things that are found in this word of God. Okay, we can read about a thing in here and say, well, that's pretty good and go on about our business as though it was a parable. But I believe if you dig into the word of God, you unearth all these awesome things that are hidden within it because they're hidden from the general public. They're only revealed to those people who have a hungry heart, who are thirsty and who come close to Jesus and say, what does that mean? Give me more. Explain that to me. I believe he's still in that business. Now that's exactly what we're going to go through this morning. Okay, I want to look at a small altercation that Jesus had between him and a woman. Okay, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today. And we're going to start with verse 24. Now it's an altercation between Jesus and this woman and we're going to delve into it. And you'll see you can read this altercation and say, ah, that's pretty good. Like it's some type of a parable. But if you look at it and we ask God, reveal what you're, you're doing, reveal what you're saying, reveal the, the secret mysteries in the gospel, I believe God expounds all these awesome things out of a small altercation between him and a woman. Now Mark chapter 5 verse 24, before we read, there's just a little bit of history, background here. What it is is the Lord Jesus had just got done, if you remember, he had just got done casting out the, the, 
demon called Legion. Remember, he, he finds a man at the tombs, and this is like a wild, crazy man. And he, he, he calls to the demon and says, what's your name? And the demon says, Legion, for we are many. And they're bound up inside this man, and he would gnash and go crazy, and no one could suffer this man. And Jesus casts them out into the herd of swine. They run violently down the hill and jump into the sea. And this man is, people can't believe it, because then they see him clothed and in his right mind, and they're like, whoa. What in the world? And this man comes back to Jesus and says, Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, you go and tell everybody what happened to you. You go get testimony. And Jesus gets in this ship, and he passes across the sea. Now, we're getting ready to pick up here, but as Jesus is crossing this sea, there's this giant multitude of people you know, waiting for Jesus to come. And the ship docks, and Jesus gets off, and immediately is thronged by this large crowd of people. And they're pressing in at him. And one particular man is in that crowd. His name's Jarius. Okay, now Jarius had a daughter. He, Jarius, it says, was a ruler of the synagogue. Okay, so he was some type of clergy member. And Jarius has a 12-year-old daughter that's dying. And Jarius says, Jesus, come heal my daughter. She's dying. She's at the point of that. Please. And, He's imploring the Lord Jesus to come to his house where his 12-year-old daughter is dying. Please come touch her and heal her. And Jesus agrees to go to Jairus' house. And this is where we're going to pick up reading. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. Just got off the ship. All these people are here thronging him, and he's on his way to Jairus' house. So we're going to read Mark chapter 5, verse 24 says, And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in behind him the press and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and thou sayest, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him, and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Now first off, when we look at this, you know, it's more than a parable. It's more than a, just a cool little thing to happen with Jesus. I believe it speaks volumes and volumes, of so much so I can't even cover it all today. But first off, we have to understand that this woman has some sort of disease, some sort of issue, some sort of problem with her body. Okay, so much so that she's went from doctor to doctor, suffered many things from many physicians, the Bible says. She's in this desperate, desperate state because she's growing worse, not getting any better. She didn't get any medicine from any doctor that has showed improvements. She continues to get worse and worse. So we need to understand her, her desperation. She's desperate, looking to, for a way to be cured of this issue that she has with her body, this issue of blood. And she's had it 12 years, and she cannot get rid of it. She's going here and there and trying this and that and cannot get it figured out. She's to the point of 
desperation and her condition is deteriorating. She can't find any solace. Nothing can help her. No medication. Nothing has been able to help her. She's desperate. She has exhausted herself with different methods to try to find the cure to this problem. Swapping from this doctor to that physician here and there. She's tried all the tonics, all the techniques, all the pills, all the conventional and unconventional methods to try to be cured of this thing. She's tried all the herbs and all the exercises. Nothing is getting better. And understand, these doctors are trying to help her. You understand, doctors in our world are not bad people. They will try to help you. They will try to help you. But this woman grew worse, it says. She's growing worse. Brothers and sisters, there are some problems that only God can handle. Mankind, doctors, they are limited. They are limited, very limited with their abilities, okay? God is limitless, okay? And this woman has a problem that only God can handle. This woman has went all over seeking help from mankind, doctors and pills and whatever techniques they had back then. And it is not helping. Human beings are limited. You know, the Bible says in Matthew, because thou cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus is telling us, you can't even change, by all the willpower that you have, you can't even change the hair color that you have on your head. Not even one hair. You know, the Bible also says, Jesus tells us, what man, what man by, by thinking can even add one cubit to his stature? You know, which one of us can think, I want to be five inches taller? You can't do it. You can't because you're limited. And Jesus tells us these things. You can't change one of your hair colors by thinking, by, you can't even do that. Oh, isn't it, almost, this woman is just like we are, okay? Where when we got a problem, we're going to first exhaust ourselves with every manly solution we can try and find, and then we'll go to God. Amen? Well, first let me try this. That didn't work. Let me go over here and try that. Let me try. That's exactly what this woman is doing, trying this and that and going all over to the point of exhaustion, and she's growing worse, and now she thinks, well, I'll try this Jesus. <clears throat> Isn't it like ourselves, to exhaust ourselves with humor, human efforts, and then we turn to God? Well, nothing else worked. I guess I'll try God. Oh, this woman goes through all of this stuff. All of the, she suffers at the hand of physicians. You know, back then, I guarantee some of their techniques were pretty crude. You know, who knows what they told her to do, but I guarantee they were pretty crude. We've come a long ways in our, our uh, physician practice. Back then, uh, they drill holes in your head to try to alleviate headaches and stuff like that. So who knows? It said she suffered at the hands of many physicians. So she's been through all this stuff. And then she hears of one last hope. I got one last hope, this Jesus. It says she hears of Jesus when she heard of Jesus. So she's tried all this stuff and she has one last hope, one last chance. I can try and get rid of this thing that's making me miserable, that's plaguing me. He's my one last hope is Jesus. So then this woman devises this secret plan. Okay, now this, this 
particular story, this altercation we're talking about, happens in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, it's recorded in all three of them. It's most detailed in Mark, so that's why we're in Mark. But in Matthew, it says she says within herself. Okay, so she devises this secret plan to, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Okay, she has this secret plan to sneak in the crowd. Okay, because you remember, Jesus had just gotten off this ship. He's on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. There's all these people... You know, I'm sure everyone in the land is saying, hey, Jesus is here, let's go check it out. All these people are throwing them, and this woman thinks, if, if I can just sneak in there and touch the hem of his garment, that will heal me. I know it will. That's what I'll do. So I see this woman coming, and there's this big press of people, and she's going to sneak her way in there somehow, touch his garment, get healed, and get on out of there, okay, and be cured of her plague. Now, it immediately comes to my mind, why does this woman have to be so sneaky about it? Okay? Why, why is she, what's the secret plan for? Okay? Why not, why didn't this woman, if you read what we just did, why didn't this woman holler out for Jesus like the blind men? Jesus, have mercy on me, thou son of David, come and heal me. Why, why didn't this woman come yelling out for Jesus? We already see that she's desperate. We already see that she's suffered all these things for all these years and can't find a cure is getting worse you would think that she would be desperate and not care jesus help me help me coming yelling in front of all these people who cares who hears me who cares what i look like why she got to be so secret why she's saying if i can just sneak in there and touch the hem of his garment i'll be made whole now matter of fact jesus is on his way to jarius's house when jesus got off the ship it said that jarius besought him greatly Meaning Jarius was out there, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Please come help. Jarius did what he had to do to get Jesus' attention. Why is this woman just wanting to sneak in there? Why is she coming in the press? Why, why is she just going to slip in from behind and touch him? Why doesn't she just yell out, Jesus, heal me? She's desperate. Why, why such a secretive approach? You know, it even says in the Bible, which we just read, that she came in the press behind she didn't come to Jesus' face. She, she didn't come where she could be seen. She snuck in from behind. If Jesus is walking that way, she's whittling her way in there and going to reach in there and snag a hold of his hem of his garment and be healed and then sneak right back out. It says she came in from behind. She didn't even want to call any attention to herself at all. She's just going to sneak in there and touch him. Why? I believe two reasons. The first reason is shame. Shame. She's ashamed of her condition, okay? If you go back and read in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, if you've ever been looked around or browsed around in the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus has all kinds of laws and rules in it, amen? You ever looked around and there's all kinds of rules and stuff like that in Leviticus? I'm not going to bring it up, but if you can read it for yourself, in Leviticus chapter 15, it talks about women with issues of blood. Now, a woman with an issue of blood in those days, in that custom, was deemed unclean, okay? To all the people, you were deemed unclean. Matter of fact, it even said that woman's bed was unclean, all of her furniture was unclean, and whoever touched anything of that woman's, including that woman, they were also unclean, okay? So to get clean, and this is all in Leviticus chapter 15, you can read it for yourself. To get clean, what they had to do was this woman's issue of blood had to be stopped, and then 
She had to go through this purification thing, wash down everything. Anyone who had any altercations and touched her or was in her home had to wash and cleanse. And then they had to bring sacrifices to the priest and the priest would sacrifice. Then after so many days, they would be cleaned and restored back to full functionality. You would be deemed you're clean now. So Leviticus says that this woman is unclean. She's ashamed because of her condition. And I'm sure word got out. and People, hey, that lady, she's got the issue of blood. She's unclean. Everybody keep away from her. I don't want to have to wash myself and present myself after all these days and do all these sacrifices. Keep away from her. She's unclean. Here comes that unclean lady. So she's ashamed of her condition. All of her stuff is unclean. She is deemed unclean by that society, by all of her peers. There's the unclean lady, the lady with the issue of blood. This woman cannot get clean. See, most of the time, you know, a woman has an issue of blood. It, it stops. She goes through this, this process, and she's clean, restored back to normal functionality, back to normal society, and go about her business. People can stop avoiding her and pointing at her, okay? This woman can't. She is unclean, and she's wearing that label unclean. She can't. Everyone knows that's the unclean woman there. She can't. It's been going on for all these years, and it's getting worse. So she's ashamed of it, ashamed of her condition. She doesn't want to call out loud and make a big scene in front of all these people that are thronging Jesus. She's, she's got shame on her. She doesn't, obviously, she doesn't want to cause a commotion. Matter of fact, if, if she thinks maybe if Jesus sees her coming, he's going to say, get away. Guys, get her away from me. She's unclean. She's dirty. Don't let that woman touch me. Don't let her near me. You know, maybe these thoughts are passing through her head. All she wants to do is be clean. So she's devising this secret little plan to get in there and, and touch his garment. The second reason why I believe she didn't holler out a big commotion and, and yell, Jesus, come and, come and touch me, cure me. I got a problem. The Bible says that she spent all that she had. I believe this woman, first of all, she's unclean, ashamed. She don't have nothing left. She doesn't have nothing left to give, to offer the Lord Jesus. You know, she's never met Jesus before. Maybe she thinks, which we know, but she thinks, well, what, what am I going to offer in exchange for him to touch my body, to, to make me clean? I, I can't bake him any loaves. I can't offer him any gold. I don't have any. Now, I don't know if this particular woman is homeless or raggedy looking. I don't, it doesn't say. It just says she spent all that she had. She didn't have any money to come and offer Jesus. No goods or services to offer the Lord Jesus. She didn't have anything. She's an unclean woman, labeled unclean, doesn't have anything to offer. That's why she's not out there yelling, Hey, Jesus, come and heal me. She has nothing to give this, this man, this miracle worker that she hears about. Nothing to offer him. Nothing to trade of any value. She has nothing left to give. Nothing to offer Christ. No gold, no silver, none of that. Now, Jesus, remember, he's on his way to Jairus' house. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. A at the very least, Jairus can provide Jesus with a meal. You know, if, if Jairus, if Jesus heals his daughter... Jerry's can say, Jesus, sit down. Let me provide you a feast. 
At the very least, Jarius, you know, maybe he can say, hey, Jesus, let me put you up for a few days, man. There's a bed, I got a spare guest house. You can stay in there. You know, he's a ruler, so we imagine he's got to have some type of income or some type of status or, or prestigious in some sort of way. So at least Jarius can provide something. And this lady has nothing. Nothing. Can't bake him any cakes, no loaves, nothing to give. She's ashamed and has nothing to offer. That's why she has this secret plan. If I can just not draw any attention to myself, reach in there, she says it within herself, and touch him, I know that I'll be whole. She has nothing to offer like everyone else does. Verse 28 says, For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. One thing I do like about this woman is she has unwavering faith. Sometimes I wonder about my own faith. Is Is it like this woman's? This woman hadn't even met Jesus, but she says within herself, if I touch, she doesn't say maybe. She doesn't say I think. She says if I touch him, I will be made whole. It was already a done deal to her. All she had to do was sneak in there and touch him. It was done in her mind. She just had to carry it out. I admire that faith. I think Jesus admires that faith. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Brothers and sisters, be convinced in your faith. Be convinced in your faith. Like this woman, it was a done deal to her. She said, if I touch him, I'll be made whole. End the story right there. I wish I could be like that with my problems and my doubts. Touch him and you're made whole. Be convinced of it. Be convinced, brothers and sisters, in the power of God. Be convinced in the authority of Scripture. Be convinced in it or don't be convinced in it. When you pray for something, be convinced that God will move on behalf of it. He will. I, I believe that God answers prayers, don't you? I believe that He answers them in His timing, in His way. I believe wholeheartedly that he answers prayer. So be convinced in it. No unwavering in our faith. So this woman pushes her way in to touch the hem of his garment. I see this great crowd of people thronging him, the Bible says. Maybe some people were there to see this great magician. Okay? Maybe some people were there to get a healing. Maybe some people were there to get a blessing. Maybe some people were there to hear one of those awesome parables they've heard about, to to get some wisdom imparted to them. Maybe some people were there just to see what the fuss was all about. But there's all these people there. Maybe there's some people there to cause some trouble, which there are lots of troublemakers follow Jesus around. There's all these people to see a great magician, a healer, a speaker. They're all thronging him. All these people are thronging him. People are thronging him, but this lady isn't giving up. You know, I don't know if this lady's in a weakened state. Or, imagine this lady in a weakened state with this disease condition amongst 
all these men thronging them. I want to see. I want to get a look. I want to get a good look. But this lady is not having it any other way. Somehow she makes her way in that press and gets close enough to touch Jesus. And these people are thronging him. There's a group of disciples protecting Jesus, escorting him. Jairus and his men are escorting Jesus to his house. These people are pushing and pushing, but this lady wasn't going to have it any other way. She presses through those people close enough, breaking through the security guards or whatever there may have been, breaking through all that close enough to reach out and grab hold of the hem of his garment. This woman was not having it other, any, any other way. She was desperate, and she knew, if I can just touch him, I'm whole. She's going to make it to him at all costs. You know, I wish I could be, first of all, I wish I could have the faith that this woman has. It's a done deal to her. She just has to do it. You know, unwavering faith. Second of all, I wish that would be my approach to Christ. You know, when, when I kneel down to pray, am I pressing through every thought, all the things, all the bills, all the problems, the relationship issues, work issues, all these things pounding at me? Am I shoving through all them at all costs to get close to the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, is that how you're praying? Sometimes I'm guilty. I just might kneel down and give a short little prayer. and That's all. I believe God wants us to press in, break through any barriers that are keeping us from Him. Break through this little unclean lady who's weak in a weakened state. She presses through at all costs and makes her way close enough to touch him. I wish that was my prayer life. So she works her way through and snags the hem of his garment, and wham, healing virtue flows, it says, through him, and instantly heals this lady. Okay? She's instantly healed. The years of pain and agony are gone in an instant. Jesus does this almost even unknowingly. The Lord Jesus does this. Brothers and sisters, what the doctors could not do, Jesus can do. He does it almost unknowingly. What man's best attempts do, Jesus does with barely any effort at all. Not even knowing this lady was approaching him. What pills couldn't do, what tonic couldn't do, what therapy couldn't do, Jesus does. Jesus does it. Healing virtue flows through him and he's healed. Jesus stops immediately. He feels that virtue flow through him. He stops and says, who touched me? Now, this is something little that I noticed, but do you pick up here the, the sarcasm that his disciples has for him? They're kind of like, Jesus, uh, you don't see these people thronging you, and you're going to say, who touched me? There's a hundred people trying to touch you, and you're going to say that? I don't know if you pick up on that sarcasm, you know, but what I notice is Jesus' response Jesus instantly dismisses what they say. How many times has someone at work said something to you that bothered you and you want to say, shut up, fool, don't say that stuff to me. You know, that, that's sometimes how I feel. Oh, you want to say a smart out of the market? Be quiet, dummy, you don't know anything. But Jesus doesn't say, Jesus who had the authority to say, quiet down, fools, don't say that. He, he had the right to say it. He doesn't say that to his disciples. Look, he doesn't even respond to them. Man, isn't that a little lesson in his, itself? Someone says something sarcastic. Someone says something smart-alecky to him. And the Bible says they say that to him, and he just turns around and looks, and he finds the woman. He doesn't even acknowledge their smart-alec remark. Man, I wish I could do that. 
I wish I could do that. Lord, help us all to be able to just dismiss any little smart-alecky remark, any little sarcastic remark someone makes us, to us at work. Let's just ignore it, just like Jesus does. And he's, how are you going to say who touched you? Jesus, all these people. Jesus just turns and beholds the woman. Doesn't even acknowledge their, their foolishness. I, I thought that was pretty awesome. Just something little, but something awesome. So... Jesus turns and sees the woman. Oh, and he beholds this woman, okay? And the woman, fearing and trembling, falls down before him. And the version in Luke says, declares to everybody. So this lady, she comes to this boiling point, you know, and she yells out to everybody all that happened to her, it says. She tells everybody around. She don't no longer care who can hear or being embarrassed, has nothing to give. She boils over and... She knows that her plan's exposed, so she yells out everything. Oh, Lord, this is exactly what happened. Have mercy. She's fear and trembling. She falls down before him and declares all to Jesus and all the people. She's crying and afraid. It says she confesses all. She says everything. Her secret plan is exposed. Now, at this point, she's vulnerable to the Lord Jesus, okay? She's made herself vulnerable. She's put herself out there. Okay, This poor, unclean woman in this wretched condition has made herself vulnerable. All these people here, all I can see some people going, the unclean lady touched Jesus. The unclean lady, she touched Jesus. What's he going to do? Are they going to get rid of her? Are they going to stone her? So here she is, she yells out, and Jesus, who could make or break her right then and there on the spot, calls her daughter. If I don't tell you what Jesus is all about, then brothers and sisters, you ain't going to get it. He calls her daughter, almost as if to acknowledge, you're my family. You're my family now. Your, your great faith has made you whole. I love you. You are my daughter. You're of value to me. You're not some piece of trash. You're not unclean to me. You're my daughter, he says. Man, I don't know if you get that. Jesus could have destroyed her for the rest of her life with an unkind word if he would have said, get her away, remove her from my presence. And people would have. He could have said, stone her. Don't let this unclean person touch me. I don't know about you, but what if you're walking down a road and some homeless dude comes up trying to touch you? You're going to be swatting him away. Say, get back, bud, before you get punched. But Jesus lets this woman come and touch him. And he calls her daughter. Man, it's just, to me, it's just, you're, you're family now. You're not unclean. You're not trash. You're not some piece of filth. You're not an outcast to me. You're my daughter. You're loved. I love you. You belong, he says to her. When he calls you daughter, you belong to his family. You are of value to me. You are my daughter. And he ends up just blessing her. He commends her faith. He gives her a blessing of peace and says, be on about your way. Man, I just so awesome. And she leaves changed forevermore, healed inside and out. Way much more healed than just an issue of blood. I believe this woman came to repentance that day when she fell on her face before him, trembled and cried and confessed all, it said. And that woman found Jesus. She found out that day that Jesus doesn't do the barter system. I'll heal you for 20 pieces of gold. I'll heal you if you bake me a fine dinner. 
That ain't how Jesus operates. We come to Jesus with nothing. Nothing. But yet he loved her and called her daughter. And to me, that's what Jesus is. He shows mercy when we don't deserve it. He shows mercy. That's who he is and that's what he does. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says, But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, when we were in that unclean state, when we were the outcasts to God, when we were not reconciled to God, he still loved us and died for us. Brothers and sisters, as much hate-mongering that goes on in our society, the Lord Jesus Christ loves every homosexual there is. He loves them and he died for them. He loves the most vile murderer out there and wants to be reconciled to them. He loves us even when we fail him still. He loves us. He shows mercy. He changes people's lives. He heals people's messed up lives. He forgives people. That's what Jesus is. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is. One last thing about this altercation between the Lord Jesus Christ and this woman. If you'll notice, she snuck up from behind. She came in the press behind him, it says. Then if you look, when she confesses all, the Bible says she's before him. Okay? She was behind, burdened, heavy laden with all this shame and guilt and embarrassment. When she confessed it all, now she's before him. She can be as, no longer has approached from some different way, like some scumbag. She can come before him. The Bible says she knelt and confessed all before him. She's in front of him now. She don't have to sneak up from behind. She knows now Jesus loves me. He called me daughter. I can come before him now. I can come before him. I don't have to sneak in and just touch his car. I can come in front of him and give him a hug. She no longer has to live in shame. She's no longer unclean. She's no longer a scum of the earth, a reject of society. She can come before Jesus. She can come and be before him. Like everybody else, she can come and be before the Lord Jesus. Because, brothers and sisters, because of his healing virtue, we can come before him. Amen? Not because, hey, I, I'm good. I clean myself up. I, I used to do this, but I don't do it anymore. I can come before him now. No way. It's because of his healing virtue, his redemptive power of his blood, we can come before him now. If we can maybe dim these lights just a moment. And brothers and sisters, I think we have a little bit of a misconception. And if you could maybe play some music, I want to have an altar call, but I think we're under a misconception. And I feel so guilty sometimes I, when I screw up, because I make mistakes. I don't know about you, but I make mistakes, foolish mistakes, and I'm ashamed of them, and I think, how could I said that to my wife, or how could I have done that, or what an idiot I was, and it causes shame, Okay. And what that shame does is it causes me to, I can't approach Jesus anymore. I can't come to his face. I can't come before. Maybe I can sneak up from behind and touch his garment, but I can't come up. up. There's got too much shame. 
Brothers and sisters, that's a misconception. No matter how bad you have screwed up, Jesus will call you a son or a daughter if you are willing to come to him this morning. He'll call you a son or a daughter. He wants to call you, acknowledge you as a family member if you will come to him this morning. Amen? If there be anyone out here in here that is not saved, if there's anyone who screwed something up, if there's anyone who needs to rededicate their life to the Lord Jesus, come now. He will not reject you and say, get away from me, dirtbag. He will say, come, son and daughter. Come, I love you. You're a value to me. Amen? Amen.